Hello, and welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. In 2004, Navy pilot Alex Dietrich spotted a white tic-tac-shaped object off the coast of San Diego. She shares her experience as well as advice for San Diegans right after the news. State officials confirmed Friday that California's economy will fully reopen on June 15th. COVID infection and hospitalization rates are down, prompting state officials to end the color-coded tier system. Starting June 15th, all businesses can open without restrictions. New two-year labor deals negotiated by San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria include pay raises for about 6,000 city workers. That includes 150 deputy city attorneys, 4,000 white-collar workers, and 1,800 blue-collar workers. Engineers will get 29% raises over the course of the deal to make their pay more competitive. Union members and city council members must still approve the agreement. A fin whale carcass that was struck by a warship and brought into San Diego Bay washed up in Huntington Beach. The 65-foot whale was towed to sea and dropped in a location where scientists believe it would not travel back to land, but it washed ashore at Bolsa Chica State Beach on Wednesday. The carcass has drawn a steady stream of onlookers. It will be hauled to a landfill on Saturday. Unidentified flying objects, unidentified aerial phenomena, whatever you call it, mysterious lights and objects in the sky have always captured our imagination. And now UFOs are getting more attention as the federal government gets ready to release a report on them in June. The Pentagon has already confirmed military videos of UAP to be legitimate. Last April, it released three Navy videos, including one recorded off the coast of San Diego in 2004. Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich was there. She was training on a ship when radar picked up unknown aerial vehicles on the horizon. Dietrich and her commanding officer went to investigate. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, My first question is just, you know, could you take us back to that day? What was going on? Uh, What were you doing that day? And and what did you see? Mm. So everybody is asking me this. I'm getting bombarded with media requests and, and interview requests. And I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm really uh, tired of just repeating myself. Sure. Um, and I, again, I, when it happened on November 14th, 2004, I came back to the ship and I gave a full report. Mm. I wrote it down. I told people. Um, and so to those who have said, you know, oh, you're, you're finally going on record or you're finally talking or now I've, 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 I've never not been talking <laughs> uh, and I certainly haven't been hiding and I'm not um, I'm not coming out now people say oh you're brave to come forward I'm not coming forward I've never been hiding um, you know 60 minutes found me <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and um, and you know I've been stalked for years by folks who um feel entitled to have time and space with me uh, to ask these questions. So I just want to, I will just want to start off by saying that. Um, the other thing is that by asking me to recall specific events that happened over 16 years ago, um, I don't think is, uh, I, I just don't think that that's the right approach at this point. I think you should look at the reports and you should look at the technical details from our uh, reporting that happened 
um, much closer to the incident, but I'll give you an overview of what happened. We launched on a, a routine training mission off the USS Nimitz, which is a large carrier that at the time I think was based in San Diego and I think has since moved. Um, that would have been after I left the squadron and, and the air wing, but um, the Nimitz was the aircraft carrier and we were part of the, the air wing that goes out and trains and then eventually goes out on deployments with it. Um, and then the carrier strike group includes other ships like the USS Princeton, which is a part of the story. So we were uh, flying again, November 14th, 2004 on what was just a clear, sunny San Diego day, uh, just off the coast there in the working area. We launched and uh, we were expecting to do some air-to-air -air intercepts, which are kind of like scrimmage uh, between ourselves to practice our maneuvers. Uh, and then we were interrupted by an air traffic controller from the USS Princeton, who was giving us vectors out of our pre-briefed airspace. Uh, and we hesitated or, you know, we said, no, that's not where we're supposed to be working or we are expecting to be doing. And they said, well, this is a real world contact. We need you to go check it out. So we were redirected and then we went uh, to try to intercept what they were seeing on their radar. And um, that's when we encountered this thing that we refer to as the Tic Tac because that's what it looked like. Um, and my commanding officer was in the lead aircraft and uh, Dave Fravor from the interview if you saw that on 60 Minutes, what I sat down with. And uh, yeah, so it was it was unlike anything we'd ever seen. It's unlike anything I've seen since. And so that's why we refer to it as unidentified. And um, again, we came back to the ship, we gave our reports, uh, and then went on with our training, went on with our, our lives and our careers. And it's, it is really fascinating to me um, how interested people are and how um, carried away they get <laughs> with just the idea of, um, you know, the unknown and the, the mysterious. And I get it. it. You know, I like to solve puzzles, too. Um, but I'm also kind of fatigued <laughs> by all the yeah, I understand. And I, I really do appreciate you making time. And I want to apologize for asking that question. Um, you know, I can absolutely add that to the intro and summarize it. But I mean, that being said, what do you think is, you know, the part of the story that is is missing that we're missing? Yeah, so the, and one of the reasons that I agreed to talk when 60 Minutes approached me uh, was that, you know, we were ridiculed as air crew. Um, we were teased, we were you know, and it's all fun. It's all fun and, and, and good fun among our colleagues. But I think as a society, we are conditioned to jump to the, the sci-fi conclusions because of all of the TV and all of the movies and all of the um, media that we, you know, if it's History Channel or Ancient Aliens or something like that. And so, um, I said yes to 60 minutes because I wanted to reduce the stigma. I wanted people to, if they do see something, and, and one of the reasons that I agreed to talk to you um, 
is because you're based in San Diego, right? And you have a San Diego audience. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. So, um, you know, I have, I have an inbox full of requests, uh, but I moved this one up to the top because I thought, oh, if there's uh, a group of people that I would like to reach out to, uh, to say, hey, if you see something, say something. And if you're out and about, if you're a pilot or if you're a mariner, if you're out on your boat and you're in that area, um, you know, San Clemente Island and, and the waters around there, take a camera with you, <laughs> you know, be ready. And, um, and if, again, if you see something, try to capture it, try to take a picture of it or a video, uh, try to get some other, eye, other eyes from different angles on it and write everything down as soon as you can so you don't forget any details and then add that to the collective database. So for anybody who's flying in the U.S. should know that the FAR AIM manual, which is what the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, puts out, there is a section to report unidentified flying objects. And um, it sounds absurd when I say it out loud, but it's, it's an actual page in this very thick, um, otherwise very you know, sort of boring <laughs> manual uh, that's all about flight rules and regulations, but uh, it's in there for a reason, right? We want to know if there's something off of our coasts or in our skies that uh, is, um, could be a threat, could be uh, an adversary, you know, could be some sort of, uh, we like, we like to know, we like to classify and um, categorize and identify things. Uh, and so, when we can't, it's important to flag it, tag it, and turn it in so that we can, as a collective, figure out what it is. And then there's a similar reporting channel in the DOD. Uh, it's called the FIH Flight Information Handbook. And there's a page in there on how to report and what to include in the report. So that's my public service message, uh, especially to uh, folks in San Diego. Uh, if you see something, say something and report it through the channels, uh, the FAR AIM, F-A-R-A-I-M manual and the DOD Flight Information Handbook, F-I-H. Well, it does seem from videos that have been released so far that San Diego is kind of a hot spot for these sightings. I mean, do you think that is true or is it maybe just because we have a, a larger military presence here than, than many cities? Mm, yeah, I get you, what you're saying, correlation, causation. I, I can't, I can't speak. I mean, I'm just, I don't know enough. <laughs> I, this happened to me in 2004 and I have been contacted many times since by enthusiasts and folks who really are interested and, you know, sort of spend their either as a profession or as a, a hobby, um, a lot of time and energy on this, but I haven't. So I don't know. I don't know how many reports are being made in Southern California versus other areas. And I don't know if, if that's a fact, I don't know if it's because there are so many more you know, military pilots and folks who have a sort of a trained eagle eye scanning the horizon, or if it's because there actually are more phenomenon. Uh, well, you mentioned the stigma, you know, 16 years ago when this happened, I, I think it seems like 
maybe that's waned over time. You can definitely tell me, but I mean, what did you go through during that time? And I mean, is it changing now, especially that, you know, the Mm -hmm. military has said they're going to release more information next month. So it has, you know, at the time it was uncommon. It sounds like you were ridiculed a little bit, but now it's been confirmed. So I hate to say it, but I think that the report's going to be a huge letdown. Mm. (laughs) You know, I don't think that it's going to reveal any uh, fantastic new insight. I think it's going to be full of a ton of just bureaucratic mumbo jumbo. It's... um, Hmm. You know, I... This, the stigma or the, the hesitation to come forward and say something and then to be labeled as a kook or uh, um, you know like a tinfoil hat wearing <laughs> right so so what so what I would like to make clear is that just because I'm saying that we saw this unusual thing in 2004, I am in no way implying that it was extraterrestrial or, you know, alien technology or anything like that. I'm just saying I saw something and it didn't fit any other mold that I'd ever seen or have seen since. So, um, you know, if we can get to a place where we can all just be curious without jumping to conclusions or making sensational outrageous claims about a little bit of information, then I think we can actually get to a place where we're all cooperating and collaborating with whatever information we might have to get some answers and get to the bottom of it. Is it something we should be worried about? You mentioned curiosity. Obviously there's a lot of interest out here, uh, but you know, is it a security threat? I don't know. Again, this sounds so, uh, you know, I repeat this a lot, but like it's unidentified because it's a, it's a UFO because it's unidentified, right? It's, I don't know what it was. We don't know what it was. And so um, as a military, as a military officer, of course, I'm concerned that it might be a threat. I'm, of course, I'm concerned that it might be one of our adversaries with some advanced or disruptive technology and, uh, that that you know that's why we had such such a sense of urgency when we came back to the ship that day um but you know we can't confirm that and we certainly can't if there's just um folks getting hysterical about uh, you know sci-fi uh narratives that you know, we, we have no reason to believe that, that it is, well, we just don't know. We don't know. And, and I, do you think that we'll ever know, or are we any closer to knowing, you know, based on technology advances, anything like that? I hope, I hope that our, it's 2021. (laughs) Everybody's got a smartphone in their pocket, Right. right? If we look at our grandparents' generation where we've, we've definitely moved on from the era of only having black and white grainy photos or footage um, because we all have these 
fantastic. I mean, we have science fiction in our pocket, basically, uh, technology to take better evidence. And, um, you know, I think a lot more people are flying. I think a lot more people are out doing recreational boating. And so I hope, I hope we can collect and then use our big data systems now with all of our computing power and the big data analytics to, again, collect, sort of harvest all of this information, um, harness it in a way, right? A big data database, some central clearinghouse, and so that we can then hypothesize from uh, the trends. And, and it, also this, what gets me is that just because you see something unusual and then you know somebody else reports something else unusual doesn't mean they're of the same origin. Hmm. It doesn't mean that it's of the same phenomenon. It, <laughs> everybody is kind of lumping this all together um, and then also spilling over into um, I don't know, you know, these other weird sort of fringe conspiracy theory things like, um, what's it called? I don't know. I can't, I'm just, I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of it. Uh, but it, it's, I get, I mean, I understand that people want to be, want to believe in something cool and, and different and out there, but I really think we need to be patient and we need to be methodical and deliberate in our approach to this. Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, the requests you've said you've gotten from enthusiasts and so forth. It does seem like you've become like a UFO celebrity, not overnight, because as you said, this happened a while ago. But I mean, how have you responded to that? And how has that itself, um, you know, changed your life? Yeah, it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. Um, one of the reasons that I agreed to do 60 Minutes is that I'm at this tipping point in my career. I just retired from the Navy and I'm uh, now you know, a retired civilian now. But I was literally packing up to move my family this week cross country. Um, you know, and I had been packing boxes for a while. So when 60 Minutes called, actually at first, I had already packed up all my clothes and put them in wardrobe boxes in the garage. And, um, you know, I had out sweats and pajamas or whatever, but so, you know, I was like, of course, of course, right. All of my stuff is packed up and that's when 16 minutes calls. Cause they want me to go on national television and talk about UFOs, right? Like this, this is my life. Um, but it's fascinating. So I, you know, I, I hadn't been hiding. People had been contacting me for years and I would, if they found me, I, I would answer their questions because this event isn't classified. And, um, you know, as long as I don't disclose classified information about the aircraft or anything, I, I can talk about it. But people, you know, because I was in a government aircraft and I was on the clock, I was on duty at the time you know, I do feel that if a, a citizen has a question and I, and they reach out to me and I can answer it. Okay. But also within reason, right? Like I, I do have a job. <laughs> I do have a family, uh, small children and, and a life. And so, um, to now sort of be this lightning rod for, um, 
like UFO Twitter. <laughs> I never, I didn't even have a Twitter account. Um, you know, I had a very small sort of Facebook presence. I really posted, I used it mostly for keeping in touch with friends and family and, and small groups. And uh, so then I guess on Monday I decided because folks were coming out of the woodworks, right? People like you and BBC and CNN and all of the, the big names, Fox News, MSNBC, they all were just coming out of the woodworks, calling my cell phone, uh, blowing up my inbox, work and personal accounts. And so I just said, you know what, I need to, instead of trying to protect my privacy or protect my, um, my personal space, I should just step out into theirs. And so I opened a Twitter account on Monday and uh, it's been, it's been wild. I just, it's such a curious space. Yeah. And I people, oh, sorry, and people, yeah. And then and people have so many questions. They have a ton of questions and I just, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know where the answers are, how to, you know, how to go about them. But again, I feel like we need to, we just need to be systematic about it. Sure. Yeah, I didn't know there was a UFO Twitter until he told me, but somehow that doesn't surprise me. Um, just a final question to you. Thank you so much for sharing your time today. Um, you know, having this platform to reach San Diego, is there anything else that you would say? Well, I would, even though I haven't lived in San Diego, I have spent time there on my detachments and these uh, different workups and exercises. And I know that uh, as a community, they've always been really supportive of the military. And so I appreciate that. And again, I would just say, keep your eyes open, keep your eyes peeled, uh, have your phone ready to take a photo or a video. And if you see something, say something. Uh, there are a lot of folks that I think are ready to listen now and uh, more ready to to respond in a rational way, a reasonable way, rather than just dismissing it, mocking it, or um, or even spooling off in the other direction. So I think we're getting to a kind of a, a nice middle ground now where you might actually come up with some answers. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite app and tell a friend about us. We'll be back Monday.